Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Academy, announcing the 24th of our Italian Wine Ambassador courses to be held in London, Austria, and Hong Kong from the 27th to the 29th of July. Are you up for the challenge of this demanding course? Do you want to be the next Italian Wine Ambassador? Learn more and apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. It's 6 p.m. in Italy time here. And my name's Stevie Kim. Hello, everybody. Ciao, ragazzi. Welcome to Italian Wine Club um, on Clubhouse. Ciao, Stevie. How are you? How are you? You've decided to open the room. Bravo, bravo, bravo. I'm good. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me well? Yeah, I can okay, hear you great. well. I'm just going to ask you to mute when you're not speaking. Yes, of course. Okay. Okay, of great. Course. So this is, of course, the Ambassador's Corner. Um, today, it's, it is the fireside chat with Enrico Rivetto, and our moderator is Scott Thomas. Ciao, Scott. Ciao, Stevie. How, How are, are you? you? I'm super great. How are you doing? Listen, Scott, are, where are you based? I'm a little confused. Are you in Piemonte, or are you in Denver, or wh- where are you? I am in Denver. I spent two years in Piemonte. Aha. Uh, uh-huh. October of 18 through essentially December of... I am in Colorado. Oh, okay, okay. I was a little bit confused. What were you doing in Piemonte? I was studying at the Slow Food University of Gastronomic Sciences in Polenzo. They have a master's program in wine culture and communication. My wife and I essentially sold all of our belongings and both moved there, and we were in parallel programs at the same time. So she was, she's in the food side of things. And what were you doing before? I uh, with uh, working for a wine distributor in Colorado. Okay. So I was managing on-premise teams, so we call on restaurants. Had a and great how, portfolio. How did that come about? Both of you just quit your jobs and <laughs> moved to Piemonte. It sounds like eat, pray, and love kind of couple thing. I, I think it, it somewhat was. Uh, right. Of course, I think for me, the longer I was in wine sales, the further I got from why I got into wine in the first place. You're just thinking about sales all the time. The love of wine was somewhat fading. And so we made a decision. Let's just immerse ourselves in a place that will be enriching and at the same time be um, completely life transforming, which it was. So it was a wonderful experience. Well, good for you. But you, in the end, you went back to Colorado. What are you doing now? I'm a freelance and independent educator and consultant. I'm Mm -hmm. just about to launch my own business. Uh, It'll be called Grappolo Wine School. Grappolo Wine School, good name. Thank you. Um, Yeah, a a wine school at home or at your business, in office. Uh, And I'm working also with Cynthia and um, becoming an Italian wine educator. Oh, excellent. So you'll be teaching the Maestro program for, for VIA. So, of course, Scott and I met this year in April, and he taught me how to relax, that kind of like yoga pose. I'm still working on that, by the way. I think of you every morning. That sounds weird, not in a very perverted way, just because (laughs) when you taught me that, actually, that really helps me stretch. It's an amazing pose. Yeah, yeah. I I couldn't believe it. It's so easy, but... So, Scott, you're going to have to, like, you know, Instagram it so that everyone else has the privilege. Our access to that. And Scott, congratulations. He is now our certified VIA Italian Wine Ambassador at First Try. Thank you. Did you think it was difficult, the program? Well, yes. I had a lot of expectations of myself. I thought the information was profound. And 
especially the videos, and I really tackled it in a way that was quite enriching for my education. I mean, it was I, I was accepted in the program in 2020, but of course with COVID, I backed out, and this is, it's been a long-term goal for me, and um, I'm very, very pleased with the outcome. But the whole experience was absolutely amazing, from the videos, being in Verona, surrounded by the community, and being part of the community now, and of course, the tasting portion with the, the level of depth, precision, I think, of the tasting was, was fantastic. And just being able to, you know, immerse myself, it's been quite special. So thank you, and thank you for your whole team. Thank you to your whole team. Well, thank experience. you for participating, and I'm yeah. glad uh, you came, you passed the exam, and hope to see you real soon, because you know we're organizing the Chiquita Scholastica around Wine to Wine. Hopefully you can come back. Um, we're going to Pancha Corta and Lugana. Of course, that was those were our supporters. And after Wine to Wine, this is in November, we are organizing the Gista Scholastica in Sicilia. Doc and Montefalco also are um, via supporter program. So tell us why, um, Scott, you've chosen Enrico Rivetto as your favorite producer to be on the call today. I was fortunate to visit Enrico in June of 2020, and I had tasted his wines previously, and I think upon visiting him and afterwards, his philosophies on biodiversity and wine production, and of course his wines are absolutely full of life and, and purity, but his biodiversity philosophies um, and his stance in the Langue really stood out to me, so because of that, he's became top of my list, one of my favorites today, of course. Okay, great. And what, yeah. you know, you know we're obsessed. You've done the BPR program now, and you know we're obsessed about the learning objectives. What, what, what can you say the learning objectives today from today's call? What should well, we expect from you? As I've just stated, to really to maybe get deeper and understand Enrico's philosophy of biodiversity and why it's important in general, but also to him. Um, to learn a bit about biodynamics and what it takes to become Demeter certified and his motivations behind that. And to really gain insight on the Rivetto terroirs and how he reflects place in kind of each wine. So, you know, I don't know if you caught, um, not yesterday, the day before, we had a call from your classmate, Michael Markarian. He interviewed, he had a call with Sebastiano um, Castiglioni from Quechabella, of course, um, plant-based biodiversity and, and um, you know, biodynamics. So it will be interesting also to have this conversation back-to-back. By the way, absolutely, uh, your guest is Rivetto, but he's also, Sebastiano's call was riveting. It was absolutely masterful. I hope you guys get a chance to also catch that later on replay an italian wine podcast as you know um, all of these calls are replayed on the italian wine podcast by the way joy i see joy as our producer from the italian wine podcast congratulations to her to Laika, and the entire team because if you went on my insta story from this morning we've hit ninety nine thousand, nearly hundred thousand listens just the past seven days I know maybe I, if you, to contextualize, we had 23,000 listens the entire year of 2017. So we've come a very long way, and it's also thanks to Joy, Laika, and the entire Italian Wine podcast team. So thank you very much. I'm going to hand over the mic to you now, Scott. And we'll come back if, there, I mean, if there's any time for Q&A in the end. Great. Thanks, Stevie. Ciao. Ciao. Ciao Enrico. Buongiorno. How are you? I'm very good. How are you doing? Great. Excellent. Well, welcome and thank you for joining us today. We're very Thanks to you. to have you. Of course. It's my pleasure. Well, Enrico, can you, let's just start off and paint the picture. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your family winery, where you're located? Okay. So, uh, I'm located in, in Piemonte, uh, in uh, between Serra Lunga d'Alba and Sinio, two small villages in the Lange Hills. I'm the fourth generation of uh, winemaker of uh, my family because uh, we started in the 1902, uh, the, the winery. But, you know, in the, in the re recent years, starting from 2009, 
I started my, I don't know, I don't know if you can call a path, you know, a walk. Uh, who I completely changed my, my my vision and I started to <laughs> destroy some, uh, 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 you know, way of thinking and creating a new one. Uh, as uh, Stevie said before, um, you had uh, you had some um, guests in the previous, uh, uh, you know, programs. Uh, who they are uh, biodynamics uh, in other region of Italy, but you know you have to. I don't know how many of you have been in Barolo region, but you know working biodynamic, uh, 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 thinking uh, biodiverse in Barolo region and the Lange Hills is extremely difficult because the monoculture is really strong. But maybe we can talk later about that. Um, I'm 44 years old, so uh, I was born. Uh, as I can say, in the in the in the winery in, in my cellar, I was uh, doing a little bit of uh, everything. But in the last uh, 15 years, I just felt, uh, you know, uh, the re requirements to stay in the winery and to improve the quality, especially uh, if we are talking about the outside, so the vineyards and uh, uh, the way how uh, I would deal with my. You know, um, with my fields, with my vineyards, and uh, etc. Before I was traveling a little bit all around the world, uh, promoting the wine, and uh, uh, working, of course, in the cellar because my winery is medium small size, uh, medium small size, and that's what I really would like to keep, which is not so easy. Uh, try to be uh, in a balance what I can control when I can. Uh, um, uh, all the phases of the working of my winery, so to take part to all the phases of the working. So we are producing around 100,000 bottles per year, so as, as I said, we are medium-small uh, in comparison to the average of the producers in this region. And um, and I would like not to grow too much, because uh, because that's the something important for me. Uh, you know, we have like eight people working uh, every day in the winery, uh, and I think it's the, the team of working, and it's some, another subject important that probably nobody uh, uh, speak about, but for me it's very important, and I learned a lot from my um, from United States when I was traveling, is the team, the building of the team in a winery, because it's uh, more and more difficult to find people qualified and specialized in the in the winery, so there are a lot of uh, subjects, a lot of issues we can we can discuss and we can uh, and we can talk. If somebody of you has questions, of course, Scott, you have some questions. I know, but if other people who listen to us wants to 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 send some some questions, I will be more than happy to interact with them. Great, absolutely, thank you. Well, so you would be considered then a historic winery, is that correct? Yes. Sir. yes. Inception in 1902, and I guess with that, uh, your your location is in Senio, um, so you're just east of Serralonga, that's correct, yeah? Uh, exactly, I'm on a top of the hill called Lirano, and is a hill at the border between Serralonga and Senio. The cellar is uh, geographically under Senio and uh, part of the winery. And, and the other part of the winery is under the uh, village of Serralunga. Because Senio is not in the Barlow region, and Serralunga is in Barlow region. So I was always on the border of these two worlds, because I can say two worlds, because there is a, a huge difference in terms of price of land, and so also mentality of the people. So, and that's, uh, I think it was uh, very helpful for me to understand all the... A way of thinking of the people of my place and also myself in somehow. And you also produce a Barbaresco, or do you have a cellar uh, there? No, Barbaresco is a very small production. I have a, a organic supplier who supply me a very small quantity of Nebbiolo from Barbaresco, uh, but it's really represent like 7% of the production. Uh, I was thinking in the past to, to, to enlarge in Barbaresco, but the problem is that, it, you know, also there the prices are also <laughs> increasing and it's very difficult to find organic supplier and especially biodynamic because as, as you said we are 
the only one uh, Demeter certified biodynamic in Barlo region. And uh, we are very happy to reach this, um, this, uh, this level of certification, even if I'm not a great fan of uh, certification. But it was very useful for me to attest one, uh, uh, you know, paths, uh, one, uh, one walk to this direction. Yes, and I, I would love to touch on the, the certification and certification process maybe uh, in a little bit. And okay. Um, so describe to me then the, the Lerano Hill. Um, you look, you're looking up to Cerro Longa from where you are. Uh, would, would you describe the terroir as a, a continuation of um, Cerro Longa d'Alba in, in that sense? Uh, with the same uh, soil formation? Um, Cervalian of origin and yeah, Lerano Hill is always being considered under a part of Seralunga, but for some strange reason of the past, uh, I uh, you know it was uh, half of them under under the other village because at that time I'm talking about during the wars there's one there was not a big difference in in, in price of the land between one village and the other village. So I heard some old people that. My my grandfather was changing the changing the the, the city hall uh, property of city hall uh, because they were paying the less taxes under senior. But I mean that's something that I heard from old people. Maybe it's true. Uh, but under the point of view of ge ge uh, geological point of view, is exactly the same like uh, Seralunga. So we have a soil very rich of clay, calcium carbonate, um, uh, and is a part of Barolo considered one of the climatically colder part. Uh, the southeast part of Barolo region, especially this, uh, this part of Seralunga, it was always considered the, the colder part. And with this changement of climate, I have to tell you the truth, we were gaining something. You know, we had a good benefits in terms of maturation, of ripening of, of the grapes. But if I can uh, describe you the hill, I always say that this is a magic hill, is a magnetic hill, because uh, um, it's a uh, it's, um, fusion between uh, vines and other alternative crops like cereals, like aromatic herbs. We have a small pond in the, on the top of the hill at 400 meters above the sea level. We have seven hectares of woods that for the majority of you doesn't make uh, so surprising, but believe me, in Lange Hills having, still having woods, it's quite uh, rare. Uh, we have bees. We were introducing in uh, in our ecosystem also the the bees. We have six hives. We have uh, an area where we make our own compost. So you have to imagine like uh, kilometers in the middle of the fields of lavender, sage, rosemary, mixed bushes. We were planting more than thousand trees in the last uh, uh, seven years. We have fruit trees. We have oak trees. We have uh, big trees in general, ash trees. So this is uh, the idea to rebalance uh, a winery, rebalance one hill, and uh, trying to um, build one uh, uh, system where the main element are vineyards, but they are not the only one element. So I try to give you an idea, uh, 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 to try to describe uh, how it looks my my, my winery and, and, and today there is a blooming everywhere. If you uh, take a look of my Instagram uh, uh, page, I try to post as more pictures as possible of the beauty of, of this period of the year because it's really, really exciting. And I have to tell you the truth. When, when you are working and that's coming back, and I'm, I'm sorry if we go on another subject, but for me it's very important. When somebody is working, in my winery, like the everyday worker that every day they are going to work in the vineyards, it's different if I go to work every day in a normal vineyard and every day in one vineyard where you have butterflies crossing you, you have bees everywhere, you have colors, you have uh, perfumes. So it's, it's an experience every time you walk into the vineyards and you, and you go to work. And believe me, you work in a different way. It is a beautiful place that I'm, because I was fortunate to visit. I, I, I think it strikes me of how much biodiversity you actually have on your property. Um, it's a 15 hectares of hazelnuts. You mentioned the woods, uh, all of the herbs and flowers and bees. And I 
you were known for even ripping up vines <laughs> to plant these, you know, the system of, of biodiversity and work on the ecology. And, and it's living there myself, um, it's evidence that the, the production of wine in the area is very monoculture. And you said something to me that was quite powerful in the sense that when we were up on your, your viewpoint, you know, on top of your winery, and you said, when you look around here, this, this is a common place in, let's say, Tuscany, with the amount of biodiversity, with the woods and the, the flowers and fruits. And, and yet in Piemonte, sort of the southern Piedmont especially, it seems to be less common. And so that really stuck with me in the sense that you were working towards uh, this goal to, um, to achieve something greater. It's beyond wine at this point. It's really taking care of the land. So bravo is what I would have to say. I, I try to take care of myself, first of all, <laughs> because, <laughs> because I always say that what I was uh, uh, building outside is what I try to build inside. So first, I have to ask myself many questions and change my way of thinking. And in this way, uh, I can uh, I can change also what is outside. So that's I think was the main uh, main issue. So you're now the only Demeter certified biodynamic producer in the Lange. And when did you begin that conversion? And uh, when did you receive it? And were you organic prior to that, or was it just a, one, one massive switch in your mind and, and movement towards the certification? I, know, I mean, uh, the certification, uh, you have to be organic to be certified Demeter anyway. So you need to have the certification organic first, and after you can apply for the Demeter certification. At the beginning, I was not very happy to, to start uh, with this uh, certification process because there are a lot of bureaucracy, and in Italy, there is a lot of bureaucracy every 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 day, and so I would have liked to have less. But at the same time, I realized that everything what we were doing, we were really doing a lot of things, and and there is no way to attest in other way than make this a very difficult and a, a certification, which is I think one of the most complicated also to obtain, because I've seen many many winery who are working biodynamic uh, in a very serious way and they are not certified but at the same time uh, there are many people who are make a confusion between organic and biodynamic uh, everybody say i'm biodynamic because it's trendy so i was a little bit upset and, and also uh, the fact that uh, we i'm in a very conservative reason region sorry a conservative region and classic uh, i have to show papers if i want to be have a credibility also uh, in, 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 uh, with, with my competitors. So I started uh, first organic and after step-by-step step to, uh, to biodynamic, but it was something quite uh, spontaneous uh, and natural. I, I was not starting in 2009 to say I would like to become uh, biodynamic. I just said I would like to change the way of thinking in my winery. And I started to, to meet people, meet growers, which are not con are not in the wine business, uh, potato growers, uh, tomato growers, wheat producers, and I realized that I had a privilege, a privilege of make Barolo, a privilege of pour a liquid, a magic liquid in a glass, and the people listen to you. And I and I I met people who they were working ten times more than what I uh, what I uh, uh, work, and they are not considerate. Uh, biodynamic wheat producers, they, they are mar marvelous, but nobody talk about them. Producing of potatoes, nobody talk about them. So I was really uh, impressed about the, how they are humble and, that, and how they believe in what they do. And they really uh, stop to uh, the, some job where they earning a lot of money to change their life, to, to grow some vegetables. So I was, I was having some influence by them. And I always remember a guy who gave me like diamond in their hands to me. They offered to me after one biodynamic course and said, hey, take with you these seeds of old varieties of Italian wheat. So in your, in, your, in your winery. And I said, yes, of course. I didn't know where to, where to, to grow because, because I had all my surface occupied by vineyards. 
So, but he gave me in such a sincere and pure way that I couldn't say no. And so I started to, to, to be influenced by people who are not in the wine business. Um, and I tried to make a fusion of these uh, two worlds and rebuilding one system, rebuilding one ecosystem that 100 years ago was normal here. And I used the privilege of making Barolo and have the chance to talk to you today that each element is like you are in the team. It's important to have a defense, the goalkeeper the, in attack. It's important also the guy who is, who is, who is in the bench and is, is entering at five minutes at the end and he's scored the, the right goal. So the winery is a team and we need all, all the elements. But of course, the vineyards is the most important because it generates incomes. Of course. It's, that's an inspiring story. And I, I remember you have, I mean, you, you have donkeys on your property. You full on commitment. And you, and you said something to me that was, again, very powerful in the sense that once you achieve the certification, you don't have the luxury to take shortcuts. And you are held to a very high standard. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local foods, and taking in the scenery. Yes, I give you some example. For example, you mentioned animals. You need to have animals you will die to be certified Demeter. And at the beginning for me, it was like, I never had animals. I have dogs, you know, but it doesn't count, you know. So I need to have something, you know, like cows, like uh, horses, like uh, sheep, uh, etc. Um, and that makes, you need to have the space for them. And, and in Barolo and in Lange Hill, space it costs. So it's always a question of uh, uh, each square centimeter is, is, is very expensive here. So I... I started to change this mentality that I will uh, put a sacrifice of 5% of my land and reinvest and reinvest in my in environment. I reinvest in my winery under another form because I can be rich today and make some money or 1,000 euros for this vineyard, but can be rich because I produce my own flour from my own wheat or I can have my sauce made from my tomatoes or my jam that I produce from my uh, heap roses. That's, that's, that's an example. And the limit of Demeter, it's really strict. For example, copper. The copper, I have the half of the limit of organic wineries. And believe me, that's the element that most of the producer, they run away from the certification because stay below three kilo per hectare of copper, it's extremely difficult. But I said, I, I took all my team and I said, and I, that's I learned from United States mentality. We raise the bar. We are a barrel producer. We are a leader and we have to act like a leader. So the minimum we can do is to take this risk because we can take, uh, we have the money to afford also uh, to calculate the risk. So it's the minimum we can do. And so we tried we, to know better our uh, vineyard to um, divide one vineyard to another vineyard to giving less copper because we know that there it's more windy and so we have less problem of uh, of, uh, of mildew. Uh, we started to uh, use uh, propolis, starting to use uh, um, aromatic herb uh, or essential oils who comes from the aromatic herbs we have. For example, the aromatic uh, the essential oil of orange is extremely it's working extremely well. So we are. Um, uh, decreasing the quantity of copper year after year, we are also helped by the. We have to be also helped by the by the climate, of course. Uh, but there are more than four years that we are saying always under below the three kilo per hectare, two, two point five, two point seven, but we are below, and 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 that's something that uh, is a motivation also for the people who are working in my winery. Um, another thing of the of the Denver certification. You know, you, you need to have a minimum of biodiversity in the winery, but this one is something that I already had. 
you need to have cereals, you need to have a, a, a minimum quantity of wood. Uh, we have three donkeys because we have 15 hectares of vineyards, so we need to have or two cows or three donkeys or 120 chickens, but I, you know, uh, it's too much for me. So just, just to give you an idea of the, of the, of the limits that the certification is. It doesn't mean that I love the certification also because there is a cost behind that, but I think is uh, something that in this moment is helpful to uh, raise the bar. And another thing that I would like to say is that biodynamic is something who has arrived after because I think the biodynamic is the best uh, instrument, the best tools to have uh, um, to cultivate and to having an agriculture who put uh, the focus on the uh, how your soil is alive. We need to have soil alive and the biodynamic is the only one um, practice that helped me to have more uh, uh, microorganisms and more life in the soil. So would you describe your your land now is, is different, that energy is different than it was prior to you practicing biodynamic? You yes, saw, uh, saw I, I, I was change. different. I was different. And, and, and automatically also the, the winery is different and the soil is different. And every year I have the university, because when I started to do this kind of uh, crazy things, so you, the University of Turin, they come to visit me and say, we can, uh, you know, come and uh, uh, count the number of butterflies, the number of uh, worms, uh, the number of uh, bees or uh, insects you have, you say, of course, you are welcome. And in the meantime, they are doing, I try to go with them and learn. And of course, there is a changement. There is a changement that you feel, which is the most important thing. But we are living in one world that you have to uh, always uh, scientifically uh, show to the world that you were uh, following one Scheme, scheme, how is it? Scheme, scheme, and that's something that we feel more safe on that. But it's enough that you feel good and you feel the changement. I think. Well, then switching the conversation maybe to uh, the land, the hectareage that you own or you manage outside of the Lorano Hills. So, Curiculina, for instance, is an MGA, is a crew in the southern part of Salunga is also biodynamically farmed, but it's also a space that is on fractional ownership where there are multiple producers in the same space. And, and so you're farming biodynamically and perhaps your neighbor is not, is that correct? Uh, Bricolina, in fact, is uh, different than, uh, than Lirano because Lirano, we, we can say that we have like 60, 65 acres all together surrounded by wood. So that's, I mean, it's more easy to, to, to have biodynamic uh, uh, culture and philosophy because it's all isolated in somehow. Bricolina is in the middle of everybody. So the way I started to do is, first of all, the Bricolina, I have a half hectare, which is our most important crew. We work all by hand, so we are not going with tractors in, in this vineyard. And we started to build, we call like biological corridors. There are just lavender, uh, mixed bushes that we put on the border of the of the vineyard. And the fact that we are not going with tractors, we have more space that we save for this uh, for these bushes, for example. Or we've started to plant in the middle of the vineyard some trees. And of course, all around me, there are nobody is following uh, this mentality. But I strongly believe, and that's the quantistic physics says that if you start to think in a different way, somewhere in the world, some some somebody is. Uh, influenced by it and start also to change a little bit. And what happened at the Bricolina? One of my neighbor, the, the, the son of one of my uh, neighbor who was always giving the, 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 the fruits to the, to the big cooperative, is like 25, 27 years old guy. And he started to look at my vineyard and say, hey, but I would like to do something similar. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not brave enough because there is my father who wants to do it in a different way, but I'm attracted about what you are doing. You say, great. Sow these seeds, put in the middle, st start to have a, a row. And that started other two hectares of Bricolina will be in the short uh, terms with uh, 
uh, with more flowers, with more, let's say, biodynamic step by step, who is going to the biodynamic also, organic. So I think it's a, it's a contagious way to work. But somebody has to start. And, you, you, and I, I was never, I have never had doubt on that. And with your work towards biodynamics here, especially, how have you seen this wine change? I mean, what are the effects uh, on Bricolina, especially being the most important crew that you have? Uh, the changement, I, I can tell you, consider that, um, I forget to answer to your previous question. I started all this changement in 2009, and I had uh, the first vintage certified biodynamic in 2019. Okay, so it takes quite a long time, even if I was quite fast. Uh, the changement, I can tell you, the real changement will be in the next 10 years. So takes at least 20 years because the time of the nature and the time of the soil is not like our time that we we wish to have but what i've seen first of all are the uh, grass in the vineyards so the the spontaneous grass are increasing the soil is more soft uh, the vineyards are more uh, stronger because if we put the vineyards in a condition of less stress, because we are producing our own compost, so every year we are using the same uh, uh, organic substances produced, 90% of the same organic substances produced in the winery. And if my roots are feeling better and are less stressed, I have a grape stronger and I have a healthier grape. And when I put, when, and when I vinificate, I have more and a better quality yeasts on the skins and I have a better fermentation. And even if they are going slower, but they never stop, that's happened last year. Because what was the very difficult fermentation last year? Because they were very slow, but they never stopped. And that's very important. Um, the changement in the wine I can tell you, uh, okay, the, 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 the digestion of marijuana is much more easier, also because the sulfites are very low, we are below 60 milligrams per liter. Anyway, this we'll talk later about the vinification and so on. But anyway, uh, the changement in the vineyard, in the, in the wines, I can say they are wine more balanced in uh, considering that in the last 10, 15 years, we, are, we have different vintages more extreme weather, more hot, more dry. And the biodynamic, I strongly believe, and I can see every year, it's getting smoother, this changement. It's like a, it's a kind of having softer, the extreme. I don't know if it's correct in English, this uh, sentence, but I hope you understand. So you're able to achieve more balance. Uh, and so during the hot vintages, you do not have huge spikes of sugar or ripeness levels able to maintain the acidity it's more acidity it's more acidity than sugar sugar unfortunately is always very high in the last years uh, but not so much for the nebbiolo because the nebbiolo is a grape variety who is fantastic also for this reason because uh, when uh, when uh, it's too much the nebbiolo is re regulating himself in and stop to to select sugar. The Barbera is exactly the opposite. The Barbera uh, has no limits. Can can go uh, tons of tons of uh, synthetization of sugar. It's and it's become a problem on, more on the Barbera than the Biola. And do you have any issues with like Flavescenza Dore? Yeah, disaster. Yeah. For the Barbera, of course, because the Biola, another, it's it's uh, it's a resistant or I could say it's practically zero attacked by the Flavescenza Dorata. Barbera, like Arnais, like Chardonnay, are uh, really, really affected. Did biodynamics help with the treatment of that, or is there a, uh, one of the not, no, not, not so much, not so much. Uh, uh, but uh, with the, the biodynamic uh, uh, studies, I can understand. I, I try to to make some uh, theory about this sickness. Uh, then uh, scientists <laughs> they doesn't they they cannot understand what was going on, and with biodynamic we could understand, but or, there are hypotheses of course. Uh, 
uh, why only some vine some grape variety than other uh, i think is strictly connected with the sun uh, all the the grape variety affected are, have a have a reactive um, sensibility uh, to the sun and the sun is changing and some uh, trees and some varieties are more sensitive on that and barbera is one of these the immunitary system is going down and the virus is getting stronger on this variety. But this is my theory. Of course, it's not supported by any scientific uh, test. Well, it's interesting to understand there, there is no treatment at this point and some vineyards are being heavily affected by, especially Barbera, as you said. Now, asking a few more questions specifically about your other Baroli. Uh, you produce uh, Reserva and another from uh, Comune di Soralunga d'Alba. Uh, which crews, what other crews are you working with in Soralunga? Uh, the crew are Manocino, Serra, and San Bernardo that I put together and I mix the other two Barolos. One is the Barolo del Comune di Soralunga with exposure most of the of the of the vineyards are with exposure east uh, and the reserva is uh, a part of uh, the seralunga that i extract five years and i do a small uh, selection i have to tell you that i have a new uh, crew that i bought uh, this last winter is called san rocco in uh, seralunga is also west exposure and i had to plant uh, next year and i have a uh, i can tell you for first i'm happy to tell you i will do one uh, experimental uh, vineyard uh, in Barolo where will be totally fused in biodiversity and no tractors will be uh, working in this vineyard and will be the yield will be um, uh, different and I have some idea to really make a strong impact on this new crew in terms of biodiversity. I can't wait to try that. Um, it um... <laughs> takes a long time. <laughs> but... And to know you're working on both both sides of the ridges on, on, on the west and east side of Serralunga, yeah. it's a very unique aspect. Well, let me change then to a grape variety, uh, the, the Langes only native white grape, and you, you were an early adopter of Nashetta. Yes. Can you elaborate a little bit on your yeah. working with it, why you like it, what made it special, and... and how did you uh, get into Nashetta? Thanks, Scott, this? for uh, this question because uh, I'm, uh, I'm a Barolo producer, but uh, I have to tell you that I like also to experiment uh, because usually the Barolo producer is very conservative and classic. I like to experiment more things, and I have three projects uh, on experimenting new things. One of these one is the Nashetta, which is indigenous grape variety white, the only one indigenous grape white grape variety from Lange Hills that after the World War II was completely disappeared and the University of Torino was um, uh, restudying and uh, don't lose the last vineyards that they were located in Novello. And I started in uh, 2007, the plantation of the first Nascetta. And I was attracted by the Nascetta because if you read in the old books, uh, Nascetta was considered by, by the French enologists who came in our region in the middle of uh, 18th century under the Cavour Corps, uh, that the Nascetta was uh, um, a, a noble grape variety who can be aged very well and in some vintage can have some typical sense of Riesling. When I read that, I said, okay, I plant immediately and I tried that and I plant the Nascetta North. And I'm the only one in, on, on the 55 producers of Nascetta today in the Languages who planted the Nascetta facing North and I released the Nascetta. Now I just releasing the. I'm I'm selling now the 2019 because my idea is to is to age or work uh, the Nascetta in a different way. From 2007 till now, I was changing ten times the the vinification of the Nascetta because it was not easy for me to understand what was the soul of the Nascetta because I have no idea how were the characteristic of the Nascetta. And finally, now I decided. In according also to the to the change that we had on the on the uh, with the biodynamic, to have twenty five percent of maceration uh, in uh, in terracotta, so is maceration and vinification in red, and the other part 
is a, a um, three days of skin maceration cold in concrete tanks and after I blend together. That is the idea of the machetta. So to preserve and keep the part of the maceration that I really like, and at the same time to preserve the acidity and to preserve the freshness of the grape. And that's the first, uh, uh, un, let's say, different project that we have. The other project we have, I'm sorry if you didn't ask me, but I have to say the other two little different project. One is a sparkly wine made of Nebbiolo called Cascal that we use the down part of the grape to, uh, to make um, a 60 months on the lease uh, Padose uh, sparkling, uh, Metodo Classico. And I have another project that we started in 2014, is a Nebbiolo uh, vinified 100% in Anfora in terracotta with seven months of maceration, which is really, really interesting. And what is that called, the Nebbiolo? Vignalirano. Vignalirano. Well, I have a question here about the sparkling wine because it's truly one of my favorites. I was on a mission as living there to taste as many sparkling Nebbiolos as possible. And yours, uh, to me, speaks very true uh, to the method, of course, but also the grape variety because you can really get the aromatics, I think, of a Nebbiolo. But what's interesting, and I would love to expand on, if you could, is using the, the lower part of the bunch. So essentially, you're harvesting the same bunch twice. You're producing same, two different wines from the same bunch. And what does harvesting the, the lowest part of the grape variety, I mean, what type of acidity does that capture? And then I guess my other question is, how long after do you harvest uh, for making red wine thereafter, the, the top part of the bunch? Uh, thanks, Scott. These are fantastic question because uh, that's the, uh, exactly the point. The, the Nebbiolo, um, if you, uh, the down part of the Nebbiolo, of the bunch of the Nebbiolo, of course, in one month before the regular harvest is very rich of acidity. It's more acid because the sugar is staying in the upper part. So, beginning of uh, September, I pick this down part of the of the bunch and after usually a month i pick the other part who stays on the on the vine for the red for the barolian from the Nebbiolo. also the pressure it's very soft it's like we have a 38 percent 35 38 percent of the of the juice it's nothing but you have really the the, the best part of this uh, tip of the bunch uh, and it's also quite important to have the right people working in the fields because we have to pay attention how we cut this part. It doesn't have, uh, how you say, let bleed uh, <laughs> the juice from the other part to stains in the vines. Otherwise, I can have problems with the fungus uh, infection. So we have to, to, to pay attention on, on, on this. You know, we are producing like 2,000, 2,500 bottles. It's really small production. We started in 2010, and um, to, to, to make it, we are uh, eight, nine wineries who use this uh, uh, method. And I can tell you that is fantastic, especially in the colder vintages, because you have a much higher acidity, and you give a great benefits on the Nebbiolo. Uh, also, because I don't like, I disagree totally with the green harvest on the Nebbiolo. Uh, it's more than I can say 14 years that we are not um, green harvesting in August the Nebbiolo anymore because the Nebbiolo is a, uh, is a lazy, I say. is the first one who bloom and the last, last one who is picked. The vegetative cycle of the Nebbiolo is quite long. Uh, and so we have to, if we follow the nature of the Nebbiolo, we cannot traumatize the, the, the wine. We cannot anticipate the, the, the harvest, even if there are less risk, if I anticipate. So what I would like to do is to uh, um, stay with the Nebbiolo, with the genetic of the Nebbiolo. So uh, taking out part, small part of the grape in the end of the, of the maturation, not too early. Otherwise, I'm going to produce a lot of color, a lot of sugar, but I have not the finesse. An old professor of my winemaker school always said to me, you know, half through, half provocation, that the Nebbiolo you have to pick when there are no more leaves on the vine. And as I said, half through, half provocation. It gives you an idea of the 
genetic. And another thing I would like to say is that you realize to have a talent in your hand when you are vinifying Nebbiolo, because you can produce a aged Nebbiolo, you can produce a sparkly, a young Nebbiolo, a sparkly, I mean, frizzante Nebbiolo, you understand that you have in your hand something really talentous and something which is another level. And we, I feel more and more the privilege that I have to make this kind of wine. I, I personally really enjoy it. So please continue on and I will keep drinking them. <laughs> and so just a question maybe about your philosophy in the, in the winery, in the cantina. Um, I, I know you're using a various mix of, of barrels uh, in various origins, uh, Hungarian, even Swiss barrels and amphora. What, what, is, what guides you in the winery? Uh, first of all, you have to consider that, that in, the, in, the, in the cellar, uh, the changement with biodynamic was less traumatic than in the vineyards because we were already uh, quite respectful in the, in the cellar. But anyway, it was also a changement because uh, we can't use uh, almost anything. Uh, just a gel bentonite for clarification and uh, sulfites. We have to stay below 85 milligram per liters of sulfites, but for all my wines, we are staying below 60. Uh, we do one filtration, uh, a very light filtration before bottling. So this is also something, and I'm my formation is winemaker, so I was enologist here in Alba, was graduated over here. So it was really something who changed me a lot because. Uh, in the wine industry, and it's something that you can really, uh, and I suggest you to open this uh, another, uh, you know, program on on on, on Clubhouse uh, about this because nobody talk about that. How many ingredients uh, we are allowed to put in the wine are unbelievable. How many things we can add legally into the wine, uh, and they are all organic because uh, I think organic, uh, it's not anymore something, uh, I think, uh, serious, because everything is organic now, from the chips uh, to the uh, Arabic rubber uh, to the tannins added. There are a lot of things that the wine producers can add into the, into the wine, which are really, really, I think, bad. Uh, and, and you realize that uh, if you can't use all these things, you really understand who is a really good winemaker. But that's, a, I don't want to be uh, polemic on that things, but just ask to yourself why is the only one beverage and food that is not allowed to put ingredients on the back label. You can ask yourself why the wine is the only one who is not... Uh, uh, forced to put ingredients on the back. Anyway, a part of this, we use uh, Slavonian oak, we use uh, Hungarian oak, we, we use uh, 15 hectoliters, uh, 30 hectoliters, six, 60 hectoliters. We have also some French oak barrel, but not new for the Barbera. We have uh, vinification uh, uh, vats uh, made of, um, uh, uh, like uh, the form is like a pyramid of concrete. We have, um, uh, of course, we still have steel because we, we still have a lot of uh, steel tanks, but I try to use less as possible because we realize also there is a lot of uh, oxido reduction uh, uh, power on this um, um, uh, uh, container. Um, so I think also in the cellar, many things will change in, in the future using more natural um, uh, containers. Um, we, of course, uh, fermentation are all with indigenous yeast. Uh, we are working also to, 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 to use uh, indigenous yeast for the sparkly, for the secondary fermentation in the bottle, freezing the yeast of the Barolo, but that's another story. Uh, but generally speaking, we try to, uh, you know, with the fact that we are uh, working biodynamic uh, and if the, the vintage is normal, uh we have we have really uh we start from a really high level when we have to work in the in the in, in the cellar uh, and as i said also the filtration before the bottling is not so strong uh, because we need to have a filtration because we sell wines uh, uh, abroad uh, everywhere in the world so 
I would like also to be sure that we don't have a piece of wood or piece of glasses going in the bottle. So uh, I don't want to be so extreme in that sense. Well, I th thank you for doing that. <laughs> uh, but I think the, the conversation, and I think it's a whole other program, uh, it, was a, it was a big topic of conversation during our in Italy Academy in Verona just in April was the topic of reduction and uh, the use of stainless steel fermenters and, and aging in steel and how it's impervious of course and and maybe we see more of a push in the future towards more concrete uh, amphora that allows more oxygen during the fermentation and, and aging period so it allows wines to be less reductive of course so. but I digress. I one last question before we turn it back to Stevie. Um, can people come visit your winery? Of course they can. It's uh, you know it's the, the one of the most important parts because you know today I was uh, trying to explain uh, and I uh, hope uh, uh, to give you some uh, some uh, some impression about my winery. But of course, if you come and, and visit and see with your eyes, it's completely another uh, another feeling, of course. Yeah, I can attest to that. When, when I step foot on the property, you know instantly that um, you're working very hard to uh, promote biodiversity and, and you're, uh, you and your family are we're gracious hosts. So I encourage everybody, if you are in the Lange, just take a, just take a tiny detour outside of the Barolo region, uh, five minutes away from Saralunga d'Alba and, and visit your, your property. Well, uh, Enrico, I want to thank you personally for taking the time um, to, to inspire us again uh, about your philosophies. And Stevie, I will turn it back over to you if you have any questions or if there are any questions for the chat. Sure. I think, um, I think I'm going to have to close up the room because it's running late. But um, Enrico, just one quick question. How You as a small, it's a more market question, but... You, as a small, relatively small producer, how did you um, cope with the pandemic period, and how has your business model changed? I guess actually that would need a lot more time. But can you share us just? Something? No, it would be it's it's easy. Um, during the pandemic, uh, in general, for the wine of this region, there was an increasing of demand because uh, because uh, especially in the in the more uh, educated market with the collectors with people who were at home drinking they were choosing wine that they know and barolo and the winery from my region they were uh, they had a great benefits for, of that so we are short in wine we still have a lot of demand thank god uh, and i can say the pandemic was uh, was good for us in the in the sense of sales of course, the restaurants, not the restaurant, uh, or not the importer or the market who are focused more on the restaurant. For example, New York was a disaster. But other markets uh, with the people uh, like north of uh, Europe, like uh, Texas or other market where they have stores, uh, etc., they were uh, they were booming. That's fantastic. I feel like you before you were like in autostrada, and now you're like I hear the birds chirping in the background. <laughs> yeah, no. No, because everything is planned, you know, Stevie. Okay. I, have, I have a microphone with uh, fake birds for you. You're right, right, exactly. <laughs> Laika, I'm going to bring up um, Laika, our clubhouse manager. Laika, so who's oh. up next? Okay, so next is on May 26th. So we're, kinda we're going to come back with Anna Obolovskaya because um, this has been postponed for a while. Um, so it's, she's going to interview Pierangelo uh, Tomasi. So, okay, fantastic. No. So is that next Thursday? Yeah, that's going to be for the next Thursday. Okay, I am not sure I will be attending because I okay. think I might be in Montefalco. We'll see. Alrighty, okay. so thank you so much, uh, Enrico. I hope to see you soon. And Scott, great modding. I mean, it's it's. I love the Ambassador's Corner because we can do the deep dive and you got pretty geeky on me. It was fantastic. Grazie mille. Thanks for this opportunity, Stevie. Gra okay. Grazie, Stevie. So, Grazie, Scott. Thanks to everybody. Grazie, Enrico. And remember, to um, re the replay is on Italian Wine Podcast and 
you know, if you like to, to rate our podcast, you know, subscribe, that would be fantastic. See you soon, everybody. Ciao, ragazzi. Ciao. Arrivederci. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitaly Academy, home of the gold standard of Italian wine education. Do you want to be the next ambassador? Apply online at vinitalyinternational.com for courses in London, Austria, and Hong Kong, the 27th to the 29th of July. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. Hi guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.